Welcome to the Worldwide Webinar Fellowship, which you can listen to live every first Wednesday of the month at our website, tltf.org. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message from God's Word encourages, uplifts, and inspires you to grow deeper in your relationship with God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you again for joining us, and now here is your teacher, John Lynn. The title of this teaching is, The Most Pernicious Lie in Christianity. We'll define that word shortly. Uh, But in recent months, if you are getting our newsletters and reading them and hearing the teachings that we're doing, we've certainly addressed the concept of civil government and how God instituted civil government in Genesis chapter 9 after Noah and his family came off the ark, and he told them to implement the death penalty as a key part of government. Now, given that two chapters later in Genesis 11, a bunch of creeps built the Tower of Babel, let's just say it didn't go well, Uh, nor did it get much better after God thwarted that first attempt by satanic worshipers to establish a one-world government, and in essence, he washed his hands of, quote, the nations. Chapter 10 of Genesis is the theological term, is the table of nations, the 70 people groups spawned by the three sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and they didn't do well because in the next chapter, they're building the Tower of Babel, and so God thwarted that attempt, washed his hands of the nations as it were. Of course, any individual that wanted to come his way could do so, but he set angelic principalities over them. They had free will. They didn't do that well, Uh, but he chose Israel as his own people to bring salvation to the earth, and I elaborate on all of this in this teaching going up and coming down. It was Israel who first had the ministry of reconciliation. How they do? Not well. So here we are today. Romans 13 is no doubt the most quoted section of scripture when it comes to civil government. I wish it were more civil, but the context of Romans 13, 1 to 7 is often overlooked. So we're going to start in Romans 12, 9 and take it all the way through chapter 13. They're both short sections here. So this says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Now, not necessarily who is evil, because, of course, unless someone is born of the wrong seed, God is doing everything he can to turn that person's heart. And some people we see very publicly today, it's obvious that they are uh, not doing good but evil. Uh, but God is reaching out to them, and who knows what he can accomplish. He turned around a guy named Saul. Uh, he's turned around some pretty uh, committed Muslims, and uh, maybe he, you know, you're in the category of someone who he really turned around. So says, hate what is evil. That's a pretty key point. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. I'm going to talk just briefly. We, we really need each other these days, folks. If you're not vitally intimate with other believers who are like-minded on the truth, you should be. But here we go. Honor one another above yourselves. Not in an obsequious way, but in a godly way. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. These are pithy little exhortations, and they're certainly available to today, and I mean that in two ways. November 4, 2020, 
and today in a more broad sense of our current times. Verse 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Each of those clauses is pretty vital. 13, share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Practice makes perfect. And here's 14. Now watch this. Now this is going to lead into the context of Romans 13.1. Bless those who persecute you. The word bless means to invoke God's blessing on. Bless and do not curse. That's not always easy to do given the blatant evil that a lot of people today are promoting, but it's easy to get furious. But then that's Psalm 37, if you need to read it tonight, 40 verses, fret not about the wicked, it's just going to free you up. So it doesn't mean you don't stand against it, do everything you can for what's right and all that. But here's a great one, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, called empathy. It takes time and effort. It takes focus and, you know, turning your mind to feel their feelings. Now, of course, if you've been through, you know, if you just lost your dad and your best friend's dad died, you can easily or more easily identify with his pain. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. What what was that about? His friend Lazarus died. I don't know if he knew then that he was going to raise him, but he still wept. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Now watch how this context is going to lead in here. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. That is not negating self-defense. Because self-defense is not evil. But you don't get the wrong attitude toward people who have the wrong attitude toward you. And that takes effort also. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. That's a challenge too. And it might involve setting aside your rights in favor of God's truth, your personal rights or preferences or whatever. And here's a wonderful verse. 18, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you. Now, I'm sure that I have too often minimized how much it depends on me. Like, no, I've already gone far enough depending on me. Uh, so it's not possible. I gave him one chance, and now I'm I'm going <laughs> to take it out on him or whatever. As far as it depends on you. So let's just say if Jesus is our example, it probably depends on me farther than I realize a lot of the time. So if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Well, it's not always possible. Coexist. I hate that bumper sticker. You can't coexist with evil. And God never asks us to do that. 19, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And I taught, uh, and in the going up, coming down, teaching 2 Thessalonians 1, says God will pay back those who trouble you. And so God will pay back. It's all going to come out in the wash. It's part of our hope to see the wicked punished. Verse 20, just let these verses wash over you and penetrate your heart. I got so excited reading these things today. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. Now, not something poisoned. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heat burning coals on his head. Now, the best I've heard about that, as far as I know, if you know more, let me know. 
that they used to carry early in the morning, go get to the, the town square, get some coals for their home fire, carry them on their head in a little pot, and it warmed them, and it was a good thing. It's not like you're going to send them to the flames of hell if you give them a sandwich. No, but you'll do something good, and who knows? It might touch their hearts. 21, and I'm going to say really that there shouldn't be a big 13 coming up here. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And now we're going to get into civil authority as a means, as God intended it anyway, to not be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good. And that has a personal aspect to it, just in your interaction with people, to be kind and gracious to people who are not that way to you, might touch their hearts, might not. It might get worse, but everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. Now, back in the day, you came out of the ministry I came out of. This this section was badly mishandled because they said it was the church, the governing authorities in the church. And that went along with the stilted man of God of the world or man of God of the neighborhood uh, concept. All of that stuff was off base. There's only one man of God of the world. That's Jesus. Every one of us is on the same spiritual plane, um, blessed with many different gifts and abilities and so forth. Now, here's a statement that is taken way out of whack, and I'll get back to this one. Every one of us submit himself to the governing authorities. It's not the church, for heaven's sake. For there's no authority except that which God has established. We'll say more. The authorities that exist have been established. The word means arranged. So we're talking about a concept, not the psychotic governmental maniacs who have ruled through the centuries. Individual creeps. No, no. Consequently, verse 2, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And the concept and what God had in mind of godly government officials who would implement and maintain godly principles. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right. And if you're going 20 in a school zone, you're not, your heart's not pounding. You're not sweating, you know, when you hear a siren. But if you're going 80 through a school zone and you, whoa, you know that feeling maybe. Your gut turns around when you see a siren in in the rearview mirror or whatever. Rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. You want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then, you know, go 20. Do what is right, and he will commend you. There's a note in my NIV study Bible that says, Paul is not stating this will always be true, but is describing the proper ideal function of rulers. When civil rulers overstep their proper function, the Christian is to obey God rather than men. Then verse 4, for he, the policeman or whomever, is God's servant supposed to be to do you good? But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. And the sword was the Roman, the, the symbol of Roman authority. I'll read you a note in a second. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. And if you want to jot a note, Acts 21, 27 to 40, it's where police did their job. They saved Paul from a mob. And they backed off the mob and took Paul into protective custody. That's what they were supposed to do. 
So here's the note in my Bible on that verse. Rulers exist for the benefit of society, to protect the general public by maintaining good order. The sword is a symbol of Roman authority on both the national and international levels. Here we find the biblical principle of using force for the maintenance of good order. Using force for the maintenance of good order. Now, has that been violated in the last few months in the United States? Oh, my gosh. Let's just let people burn cities down and, you know, we don't want to use too much force. And again, I would throw self-defense into this principle here. Using force for the maintenance of good order. I'm I'm sorry if someone breaks into my house and says, I'm going to shoot your wife. Now, maybe I could cast out a spirit. But if not, I'm going to cast out a bullet. Uh, because I, my life is too valuable, Elizabeth's too valuable, I'm not, I'm not sorry, I'm making a choice. So hopefully, of course, we pray that nothing like that will ever happen, and so far so good with most of us, I think. Okay, verse 5, therefore it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience, that you do what's right from the inside out. Verse 6, this is why you pay taxes. The Greek word, I don't remember it, but I have a note in my Bible. It's not a voluntary payment. That socialism will take your money at the point of a gun and give it mostly. They'll keep most of it, but they might give a little bit to someone else who's sitting on his butt and won't work. So that's why you pay taxes, or the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect. Plenty of these people deserve no respect whatsoever. They're wicked. They're sold out to power and money and whatever. So if respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt, okay? So there's 13, 1 to 7, relative to what came before at the end of 12, chapter 12. Now look what how it finishes up here. Let no debt remain outstanding, just what, you know, verse 7 goes right into verse 8, except the continuing debt to love one another. How How is that a debt? Because we owe Jesus because of what he did for us. And one of the ways we pay Jesus is to love those whom Jesus loves. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, don't commit adultery, murder, steal, covet, whatever other commandment, Summed up in one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this understanding the present kairos. Present kairos. Remember, chronos is the overall, means time. They're both translated time. But chronos is the overall entity of time. And kairos is the moments one by one that uh, come chronologically, sequentially. The hour, that's chronos. Understanding the present kairos, the chronos has come for you to wake up from your slumber because, now this is a true saying, every day this is true, right? Our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. So, okay, if things didn't go so well for you yesterday, well, here we are today, it's a new day, and we're one day closer to the coming of Christ, even if it's a thousand years from now. Verse 12, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Franco's going to play a song after this teaching. It's called Almost Home. This song is worth listening to. It's a very upbeat. It'll get stuck in your head, I promise. And it is so good. It's right along the lines of what we're reading here. Day is almost here. So, 
We're going to live one Kairos moment at a time because each moment with God is a great adventure, or it can be. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. 13. Let's behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, but uh, not in dissension and dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So we're going to 1 Peter 2, 11. Uh, now, remember, we just read in the book of Romans, right? So Romans. What that be in Rome, right? When in Rome, do as the Romans. The Roman government was nothing to write home about. Most people who wrote home about it did so from a jail cell if they were Christians. So we are not the first people to live under uncivil government or that kind of thing. I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world. This world is not my home. Okay, we're almost home to our home, so to speak. I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires, just what we read in Romans a minute ago, which war is strategized against your soul. The devil's been doing this for a long time. He's really good at screwing us up. Verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans, plenty of those running around, just like in Peter's day there, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, which they certainly are doing these days, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I like that. He's going to visit. Submit yourselves, verse 13, for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority. The word supreme is the same word as Romans 13, higher power, higher and supreme, same word. Or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right, right in line with Romans. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men. Now, you may not be as free as you want to be given your local governmental laws, but you can be free from the inside out, even if you're in a jail cell, which I hope you never will be. But do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Slaves, submit yourself to your masters with all respect. I put employees in the margin. We don't have too many slaves today. I mean, human slavery is 25 million people, but you're probably not among them. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he's conscious of God. Man, oh man, that's a challenge. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this suffering you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. The word example is like it's hoopogramos tra- tracing paper. But tracing paper is kind of thin. You can see through it, you know, and you draw, draw the lines, follow the lines underneath there. We're supposed to walk in his steps. He's laid them out for us. And these last three verses are awesome or four, I guess. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, I did a teaching called Entrusting Yourself to God. It's somewhere on the website. It's not bad. I was worth listening to. 
Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds, his stripes, his blows to the face. You have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Go ahead and turn to Psalm 78. There's three cool verses there we're going to read. Psalm 78, um, we ought to obey God rather than man. There's no question when, if the government passes a law saying you can't own a Bible, uh, sorry, I think I'm going to own one. Many of our brethren... And today and historically have read Romans 13.1. Perhaps you've heard teachings like this. And they think it means that God has appointed each of the psychotic, narcissistic, narcissistic whatever, who have ruled in government positions throughout the centuries, including Attila the Hun, who is obviously God's man for that hour. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense, but that's how some people read this, seriously. I mean, that's I've heard it. Plenty of times at the root, at the root of this farcical notion is the so-called sovereignty of God, which I believe to be the most pernicious lie being promulgated in Christianity far more than the Trinity or that dead people are alive uh, on a daily basis. The word pernicious means causing insidious, you can see the word inside, starting as the root of that word. Pernicious means causing insidious harm or ruin, injurious, hurtful. Yeah, the Trinity is insane, and it's obviously debilitating, and it's a slap in the face to God and Christ, but most Christians, oh, Jesus is the Son, God's the Father, Holy Spirit, yeah, whatever. And dead people are alive, that's that's practically debilitating also, and um, you know, dilutes your will to live, makes you want to go have talk to your dead grandmother to seance or whatever. But on a daily basis, the idea that everything that happens is part of God's will, he either causes it, that's Calvinism, or he allows it, that's hideous. How could you love that God? The sovereignty of God, that God's in charge of everything, everything that happens part of his plan, he can do anything he wants anytime, is one of the devil's biggest tools to impugn, to besmirch, to sully God's character. And here is a very sad example from dear Rush Limbaugh, our brother in Christ. Uh, this is a couple weeks ago, I believe, on his show. I read this. I didn't. I haven't listened to him lately, but uh, I had heard that he has lung cancer. So I, I read this. It says, following his admission that his lung cancer has taken a turn for the worse, the conservative commentator pointed out that he's heavily relying on his Christian faith to endure, praise God for that, until it's time to go home. I guess that's true if you're a mole. <laughs> Go home. Wait a minute. You know, you might be cremated, but most people get buried at uh, home. Not that homey. So here's what he said. Thank God for this. I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the host said during last week's broadcast. It is of immense value, strength, and confidence. Praise God for that. Now, here comes this sentence. And that's why I'm able to remain fully committed to the idea that what is supposed to happen will happen when it's meant to. Now, think about 
That's like there's some cosmic force up there that has already determined exactly what's supposed to happen for each of us day by day all along until he murders us. So that's what it is. Death. He's including death in the idea of what is supposed to happen will happen when it's meant to. That apparently when the time is right, God will murder me. Now, people don't, you know, they say euphemistically, God called me home. You know that. Then he says, now listen to this, there's some comfort, I underline that, in knowing that some things are not in our hands. Limbaugh added, I would agree with that, maybe not the way he's saying it, but yeah, there is some comfort in knowing that I'm not responsible for everything, God is. Then he says, there's a lot of fear associated with that too. So there's some comfort, but a lot of fear associated with that. But there is some comfort. Some. It's helpful to be able to trust and to believe in a higher plan. There you go. The master plan. No, no. You know, I hope Jesus is the master plan. He's the master and he carried out the plan. Don't you? What a privilege we have to understand this stuff. Look at poor Rush Limbaugh. Bless his heart. I'm so glad we'll be with him forever. But gee, many Christmas he's bought this lie. How sad. It's heartbreaking. So the sovereignty of God, you cannot turn on Christian radio or television. Uh, It's within five minutes usually. I don't know. It comes up. So I looked up the word sovereign. It means having supreme rank, power, or authority. Hey, sure, that's certainly true of God, but most Christians go beyond that definition and say it means that God can do anything he wants at any time, and furthermore, that everything that hap happens, like perhaps mishap, hap means chance, basically. Everything that happens is a part of God's master plan. Nothing that occurs, nothing occurs that he does not will, that's Calvinism, or nothing occurs that he does not allow. I don't know that there's a name for that theology. I'm calling it yuckism. Excuse me, what does 1 Timothy 2, 4 say? God will is that everybody gets saved, and come to a knowledge, thorough, experiential knowledge of the truth. I don't think that's happening. I don't think that's taking place. I don't think it's ever taken place. I think it's a minority of people that achieve that goal. Now, why not? Is it God's doing? Eeny, meeny, miny, uh, sorry, Mo, you're going to be a French fry forever. No, no, it's because God in his gracious love has given each human being free will. I know that's not news to you. Second Thessalonians 2.10 says they perish because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. They chose to reject God. Look at these verses in Psalm 78, 40 to 42, and I'm going to show you there's a word that appears only one other time, Ezekiel 9, 4. You're going to love it. Oh, we're going to get to that one too. So we're going Psalm 78, 40 to 42, just a classic example of how Every human, you and I included, we have the ability, we have the, uh, you know, ability or whatever to refuse God. You know, he might tell you, go witness to that person or give 10 bucks to that guy on the corner, whatever. And we, too, could refuse to love the truth. 
So he's talking about Israel 7840, how often they rebelled against him in the desert and grieved him in the wasteland. Again and again, they put God to the test. They vexed the Holy One of Israel. In the King James, there's only one other use. We're going to go there in a second to Ezekiel. King James says they limited. I actually like that much better. And we'll see that when we get to Ezekiel 9 in a second. They limited the Holy One of Israel. What? People can limit the Creator? Yes, they can. One more verse. They did not remember His power. And then this, you ought to read on this maybe after we're done here in a few minutes, because it's awesome. They didn't remember His power that if they made the choice to do things his way, he would back them up. And this list is like amazing. He redeemed them from the oppressor. He displayed his miraculous signs in Egypt. He turned the rivers to blood and all this. Awesome. So the word vexed, the verb, translated limited, over to Ezekiel. Ah, I turned right to Ezekiel 8. That's close enough to make it revelation. Ezekiel 9, verse uh, four. Well, it says, verse three, the glory of God of Israel went up from above the cherubim, moved to the threshold of the temple. I'm letting you get there while I'm reading this. Then Yahweh called to the man clothed in linen. I think that was an angel, best I remember the context, who had a writing kit at his side. Now, you ready? Ezekiel 9, 4. And look what it says. And he told this dude, go throughout the city of Jerusalem and put a mark. That's the same Hebrew verb, limited. Put a mark on the foreheads of those who grieve and lament over all the detestable things that are done in it. So he had a magic marker, this angel, and he put a little mark on the good people's foreheads who, like God, were grieving and detesting the detestable things that other people were doing. And so to put a mark and to go with Psalm 78, it's like in Psalm 78, they drew a line in the sand. They made a mark. The bad Israelites who were whacked made a mark in the sand, so to speak, drew a line in the sand, and they forbade God to cross it. And we can do the same thing. God's not going to reach across the line you draw and yank you over to the right side. I mean, he'll, he can be pretty persuasive. But anyway, so that's just a really wonderful, uh, very cool account. So we're now going to go to Second Timothy chapter 1. Second Timothy, that's a big chunk of Bible. Second Timothy 1. Hope you're having fun. I am. I always have the most fun getting to teach this stuff. Good heavens. What a privilege. Second Timothy 1. Now, I, I'm sure you can find, and I was kind of trying to think of biblical accounts of believers living under government persecution, which may come to us uh, more than we expect or hope or anything else, uh, depending on what comes down in our country. Where there's already all kinds of wrong things you can say and get fired and all this other stuff. So, And of course, in the Hebrew scriptures, uh, some of the records are regarding the prophets who were persecuted by kings who didn't want to hear what they say, what they had to say. So you have Elijah versus Ahab, that's 1 Kings 18. You have Micaiah versus Jehoshaphat, that's 1 Kings 22, and you can find other things. And then in the Greek scriptures, remember the Hebrew scriptures, that's what we most people call the Old Testament, but really that gets people screwed. I just heard Moody Radio this morning, 
Well, the new covenant for Christians. No, no, no. The new covenant is with whom the old covenant is with is Israel. So the Greek scriptures, we have plenty of stuff in the book of Acts about people living under oppressive government authority. Speaking of which, here's Paul writing a Roman jail cell near the end of his life. Second Timothy 1. Um, and the church, the ecclesia was hurting. And uh, so here's what he says. Second Timothy 1, 6. To 14. For this reason, Timbo, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hand. Doesn't mean that Paul imparted something to Timothy. He already got born again way back before that. But when Paul prayed and prophesied over Timothy, it confirmed, it jump started perhaps or energized the ministry that he had. And verse 7 is very wonderful. It says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, cowardice, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. And many of the things we've been reading, like be kind to people who are not kind to you, take self-discipline. I'm trying not to eat carbs. Verse 8, So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. Don't let people put you on the defensive but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. When we suffer, we have the power of God to undergird us. Verse 9, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of times, not Calvinism. It means God had determined that that grace would be available if he had to unveil plan B or J. And he knew that some people would believe because of how he made people. But verse 10, it has now been revealed through the appearing, not the return. It really never says the return of Christ. It's not a bad, so bad to say that. But the verbs are uh, regarding seeing the appearing. There's four Greek words anyway that are, they're all visual. The appearing, he's not absent. He's with us, but you can't see him. Of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. Well, you and I are heralds also. That's why I'm suffering, as I am. It's a spiritual war. The devil hates us. Hates the word and God and Christ far more than he hates us. Yet I'm not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. We've entrusted our hearts and our salvation and our lives to him. And now two more verses. What you heard from me, Timbo, keep as the pattern of sound, healthy teaching with faith and love. Guard the good deposit, not Holy Spirit, the sound teaching that he was taught. Guard the good deposit. Fulaso, the Greek word, guard with a military guard. Don't let people steal the truth from you. I can't tell you. I've got thousands, maybe hundreds of former peers. My God, some of them don't believe anything. Some of them believe all kinds of wacko stuff. Come on. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of Holy Spirit, not who that lives in us. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5. Love these verses. Simple, sweet. You know that the word says, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And that's because Jesus said, if they persecuted me, 
they're going to persecute you. So more than ever, as we look around our world today, you and I as Christians, and especially those of us who know a little of the word, we need one another. You know the burning coal analogy. You take one coal out of the fire. It's real warm and hot in there, and you put it aside. Pretty soon it cools off. So where are you in the fire, (laughs) so to speak? Are you nestled together with other burning coals who can help you flame up if you get a little weak? How on fire are you? Do you have a prayer partner? With whom do you have koinonia? That's a word for fellowship, full sharing. Who, With whom are you intimate? Because if you're the Lone Ranger for Jesus, why? What efforts are you making to knit your heart together with other like-minded saints, maybe starting with one, and together proclaiming our Savior and the hope he has given us? And I love these verses. And what we'll see is that the key to horizontal full sharing with believers is vertical intimacy with God and Christ. First Peter 5, take a look at verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, Not a hand that's going to be a fist, but like an umbrella, so he can lift you up in kairos, kairos, at the right kairos moment. When we stay under God's umbrella, then he can pick us up. If we walk away, we're going to get wet. He'll extend the umbrella as far as he can reach, but eventually you get wet. I love this verse, especially in the King James, verse 7, casting all your care on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The good news is that a roaring lion never bit anyone. <laughs> right? Right. You've got to open your mouth to roar. You've got to close your mouth to bite. You can't do both. Verse 9, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And folks, heck, I've never really suffered like hundreds of thousands, I guess, of Christians have, or thousands, or whatever, even today. So if we have an opportunity to stand with them in any way, you know, wonderful. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, no matter how long we suffer, it's a little while compared to forever, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. You might want to grab Philippians on your way to Psalm 73. These two verses are too good not to share. And you're grabbing Philippians 1 as you go by to Psalm 73, 25. Psalm, now Psalm 73, 26 is a verse I've had memorized for 30 years, but that was very meaningful to me and still is. So Psalm 73, go to 23. Yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? Nobody. Now we got Jesus. This was written before Jesus was up there. So you got God in Christ, and there's no grandma up there. And the earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. What a verse. Okay, Philippians chapter 1, the last four verses. Philippians 1, sure love you, and Elizabeth says the same thing, and all of our trustees and elders love you. We pray for you. 
They work hard for you. You might not see them out front as much, all of us uh, necessarily, but everybody's working hard and they're wonderful people that love the truth and love you. And we hope you're thankful for what we're doing and we'd like to reach (laughs) millions more people. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy. It's really, the verb is exercise your citizenship. Philippians was a Roman colony. And Roman citizenship was highly treasured in that culture. So this means something to these people under the Roman government. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether, in other words, act like a citizen of heaven, so to speak, even if you're a citizen under uncivil government. Then whether it comes to you, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending means an athletic term, contending in the games, as one man, the unity of the Spirit in the faith of the gospel, uh, for the faith of God, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. That's not always easy. I've never had that many people opposing me like government authorities, but it might happen. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it's been granted to you, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. King James is good there. Since you are going through the same struggle, the word is agon, we get agony, you have, you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Chapter 2, verse 12, right after this wonderful section in Philippians 2, you know, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ who was in the form of God. In other words, all of the Godhead dwelt in him bodily. He perfectly manifested the heart of God. Doesn't mean God became a baby. I heard that on Moody Radio today, too. Made me so moody. And so, therefore, God highly exalted him, and one day every knee will bow. So we go to chapter 12, Philippians 2, 12, and then we'll close in 2 Timothy. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work it on out. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, if we let him, to will and to act according to his good purpose. Watch this. Do everything without complaining or arguing, 15, so that you may become blameless and pure. Doesn't mean you don't have a sin nature, but, you know, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. That was true 2,000 years ago. It's just as true today. Watch, even in this crooked and perhaps even more so in a crooked and depraved nation, you will shine like stars in the universe. How? As you hold out the word of life, both verbally and behaviorally, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. The darker the night, the brighter the light of the stars. I have not been privileged lately to be or have the opportunity to be in a real dark place, um, or at least I didn't go outside. I probably had to go to bed sleeping more than I would like to these days. But if you're out we got A.J. Barreto on the line tonight in Eagle Nest, New Mexico. We spent three nights there. I was huffing and puffing at 9,000 feet, but 
You go out, it's so dark at night, and there's this panorama of stars. And, of course, if you're educated in the signs of the zodiac, the, the true picture of redemption, they're really, really cool. But the darker the night, the brighter the light. And the darker it is on the earth today, the brighter you can shine, the more contrast there will be between the people of the darkness and you and I, the people of the light. Second Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Paul's last words basically to Timothy as his life was ebbing away. Chapter 4, 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 8. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, every human being who has ever drawn breath is going to stand before Christ. That is a long line. I don't know how it's going to happen, but maybe they're on a conveyor belt or something. I don't know. And in view of his, uh uh-oh, there's a visual word again, appearing, and his kingdom that we will eventually be part of. I give you this charge, Timothy. Preach the word. Same charge is for each of us. The charge has been given. Here it is. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. The Greek words, the same verb with different prefix, means when it's convenient, when it's not convenient, that kind of thing. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience, great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. A lot of that going on today. Instead, to suit their own desires, even in the church, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn aside their ears. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to muthos, myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Takes a lot of self-discipline to do all this. I don't always do it. For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. My life is being poured out. And the time has come for my departure. It means his death, not his passing. I hate that term. He passed. Somebody passed. Okay, the NFL is in progress. Third and long, go ahead and pass. Otherwise, people pass away or fall asleep or die. Okay, this is one of my pet peeves. And the time has come for my departure. There's two verses left. I have agonizomide, the good agon. You know, agony doesn't necessarily have to mean like bad kind of pain. It can mean extreme exertion if you've played sports or done other things like, you know, running, whatever. You may know what that's like. It is, you just got to make up your mind. You're going to keep running. I have agonizomide, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I have kept the faith. I didn't turn from the truth of the word. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord Jesus, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. The better you and I know him now, the more we will long to see him face to face and be with him forever. And that's what's going to happen because we win. We're in a war, but the outcome is never in doubt. So thank you for tuning in tonight. If you are a financial supporter of this ministry, bless you, bless you. And that's those S's are dollar signs. Bless you, bless you, bless you. 
if you're supporting us and you can do more than you're doing, see if God will bless you back more. If you're not supporting us financially, we'd love to have your support, especially if it's in response to a blessing. And we're coming to the end of the year, and we would love to have, and and in that vein, okay, maybe you can't give $1,000 a month or something. Uh, If you can, do, or keep pushing the envelope on the thing. See what God will do, especially if you think we're worth it of what we're doing. But then pray for rich people to be touched by the truth that we share. We are so thankful for you, whether you give or not. But find some place, because if you're not giving, it's not a good thing. So give somewhere, a smile, a dollar, a donut, whatever. So thank you for keeping us in your prayers in this uh, political sphere here in the United States, that good people or better people with better policies and better laws will come to the fore and be able to implement those policies so that we can live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and sincerity. So I'm going to pray. Anything we can do for you, please let us know. Please read the emails we send out. Listen, you can get these tapes online, teachings, you know, within a week or so. Frank will have them up there. Send them to your friends. Um, Anyway, I love you. And so, Father, we are so thankful. We're blessed. I look at these faces here. They're so precious. And I see a lot of random call-in phone numbers. They're precious, too. And I thank you for your blessing upon us. Thank you for this nation. Father, stop the bad people and help the good people. You know every heart. You know them all. I pray for my precious wife and anyone else out there suffering. Lift up my own health to you. Um, Father, I thank you for just help me to get past this dang thing and be able to do what I want to do at full speed. And the same for anyone else out there. We want to be healthy so we can serve you and do a lot. So bless each precious person. Give them a sweet sleep tonight. Thank you for your protection over us. Give us wisdom and strength and insight. And thank you for the privilege we have to know you as a father, to know you, Lord Jesus as our big brother and our Lord, and to know one another and to know the truth of your word. It's amazing. Amen. Good night. We are almost home. Are you disappointed? Are you desperate for help? You know what it's like to be tired and only a shell of yourself. You start to believe don't have what it takes Cause it's all you can do Just to move, much less finish the race But don't forget What lies ahead Almost home Whether it won't be
We are 